Well, it's time to come to our, our sermon and we're going to be thinking about that passage from um, Ephesians chapter 5. As, uh, uh, as um, we've been doing the last uh, few weeks through Lent, apart from last week, the uh, Easter Songs of Praise, we've been thinking about Thomas Watson's uh, ingredients of true repentance and we've reached the last one. And it's funny, really, thinking back over the series that when we began the series, I'd never imagined that we'd be finishing it by um, recording it and, and sort of doing a, a live stream from from home. But there we go. That's that's where we are. I'm sure everyone's had the, the same experience. So this is um, Ephesians chapter five, uh, verses one to, to 20. And um, the ingredient of true repentance this week is... Uh, turning from sin, turning from sin, and uh, turning from sin is um, part of part of repentance, of course. Now, when you get married, uh, when you get married, one of the things that you have to get used to is a, a whole new way of doing things. You know, a new family will have different traditions, will have a a whole sort of set of customs and things. Something that may appear to be normal for one family may not uh, be normal for another family. And in fact, that's often one of the, the causes of conflict, isn't it, when you get married, that you all of a sudden realise that what is completely normal to you may not be completely normal to your spouse. And um, that's something which is um, you realise, I think, when you get married. But, you know, you have to learn to fit in, don't you? You have to adjust to the new normal. You have to learn to live as a member of of a new family and that's a bit like you know what it is with coming to Christ you know we need to learn to live in a, in a new family and it's almost like it's actually a greater change in fact it's not almost like it is that there's a greater change when coming to Christ than there is when you get married you know it's being part of a whole completely different and new family new things and so we need to learn to change and um, and this is really what we're thinking about in our uh, passage today is learning to live as part of God's new family. You know, the, the change which God brings in us, how that change is, is applied. Um, and the first part of it, um, Paul starts out this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, um, follow God's example as dearly loved children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this kind of frames what Paul is, is going to say. He's saying we need to, uh, as part of, of Christ's church now, as part of Christ's body, now that we belong to Jesus, then we need to live a life of love, just as Christ himself loved us and gave himself for us. So now that we belong to Jesus, we should live a life of love. And so then he, he goes on to talk about this first paragraph here from verse 3 to, to 7. talks about what we need to turn from. What we need to turn from. Uh, so he says, among you, this is um, verse 3. Uh, among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Um. It's said actually in the um, the commentary that um, these things that but Paul mentions he talks about sexual immorality and then impurity and greed really are just 
kind of different ways of talking about sexual immorality. So, um, so actually what Paul is, is really, the, the big underlying thing that he's talking about there is sexual purity. And um, that's, that's kind of what he's talking about in this whole section. Uh, in fact, the, 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 biggest, the biggest sin, if you like, that he's kind of um, uh, talking about and the biggest thing that um, Christians need to, uh, to be pure uh, with, one of the biggest issues. And it was a big issue for, for Paul in his day as it is for us in our own day. Um, so he says that instead of doing that, we should, uh, we should love each other as we, we saw in the beginning of this, of this passage. And why is that? The reason that he gives is that um, there shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place. Uh, and he says before in verse three, these are improper for God's holy people. So what he's, he's saying is that the church should be a, a place, a family, where these kind of sins are just out of place. You know, it's like we don't do that round here. You know, the church should never be the kind of place where sin, and I think especially uh, sexual sin, but, but any sin, should be treated as normal, should be the kind of place where that, that feels like it's right. I don't know if you've ever been kind of felt like you're out of place, like you're, you're in the wrong place, and you know, it just feels kind of wrong. And, and that's what, what Paul is saying, that sin should, be, should feel like in church. It should just feel wrong. If it happens in church, it should feel wrong. It's not to say that sinners should not be welcome, because if sinners weren't welcome in church, we couldn't welcome anyone. You know, you, me, everyone, we're all sinners. We're all, we all need God's forgiveness equally. Um, but rather that, that sin itself should, should feel out of place in the church. It should be so different that sin feels out of place in, in church. And he says, he goes on to say in verse 5, of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So what he's saying there again is not that anyone who has been idolatrous or greedy or impure won't enter the kingdom of God, because otherwise no one could enter the kingdom of God. You know, he's not saying that. What he's saying instead is that uh, anyone for whom this becomes more important than Jesus will not enter the kingdom of God. And um, I think it is possible for sin to become, uh, to become idolatrous, for, you know, for someone to turn away from Christ, to turn to these other things. Uh, I've heard stories, so for example, um, let me tell you about uh, the conference I went on um, last year. We went on a living out local uh, conference. I don't know if you've come across living out before. They're a really good Christian organisation. And um, there was a, a man called Sam Albury. I know I've mentioned him before and we've recommended some of his books. But um, he was saying he was walking with a young man who was, you know, attracted to um, uh, others of the same sex, attracted to other men. And um, he really was was walking with him to try and you know find what the bible says and to try and help him to encourage him to walk in line with with what the bible said rather than sort of giving in to to his his feelings and um, he was walking with this young man for months you know they were they would meet up they would read the bible and so on but at the end of it um you know this young man wasn't wasn't making any progress and just didn't really want to listen to what Sam and, and what the Bible had to say. And, and Sam had to say to him at the end of it, 
look, you know, if I could prove to you that the Bible said that uh, sex was for marriage and marriage was between the man and a woman, would you believe me? And, and that's the thing that for this young man, at, certainly at that time, then what was more important to him was his own desires than listening to Jesus, listening to the Bible. And I think that that's an example of the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. You know, when it's not that, you know, when we sin, but rather when sin becomes more important to us than actually listening to Jesus. I think that's what Paul is, is talking about. So it mustn't be uh, be like that. And the reason why it matters, as he says, is uh, let no one deceive you. This is uh, verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't listen to people who are trying to confuse you. Because, he says, God's wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. Because as we've seen all the way through this series, that sin is something which incurs justly the righteous anger of God, his, his wrath. And sin is not something that we can treat lightly. So we need to take seriously what the Bible says about sin. And we need to take seriously the need to listen and to, to put our lives uh, and, and seek to, you know, with God's help, put our lives in line with what uh, God wants them to be. Don't be deceived and don't even partner with people. Uh, one of the things which is happening at the moment, which um, is supposedly uh, coming to an end, I think, this year, is the Church of England's Living in Love and Faith project, which is kind of a, I don't know really what it is, it's just a kind of mapping exercise, uh, trying to talk about the church's teaching on marriage and sexuality. And, but the, um, a few months ago they released a video and um, it had uh, a variety of the people, the contributors to this project, talking about it. And one of the people was Ed Shaw, who was also actually at the, the local, the Living Out Day I went to last year. And he's very good. But they also had a number of other people, including one woman who talked about living with her, her, um, uh, uh, her wife. Uh, and, um, you know, and um, it was all kind of like, we're all getting on together. We're all Christians. We're all fine. You know, and it wasn't at all, I think, what, what Paul would have, have wanted from this. You know, we need to to say at some point, actually, we're not walking together and that, you know, we mustn't be partners with people who are trying to sow confusion in the church and trying to turn people away from what God has said in his word. How we do that is a, a difficult question, but it's certainly something that we need to, to, to bear in mind. So we talked about turning away, turning away from sin. The next thing is turning to this next paragraph, turning to. He says, uh, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. So what Paul says is turn away from the darkness, from, from sin. Turn to the light instead. And that's all, you know, righteousness, goodness uh, and truth. All of the kind of the fruits of love that we were, uh, that we were talking about. He says, um, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So don't get involved in any of the, the fruitless deeds of darkness, but expose them instead. Expose them to the light. And, you know, it just made me think, you know, how much evil goes on in the darkness? How much evil goes on when people think there's no one looking? And how much evil goes on when there's no accountability? 
and when you know things can just go on behind closed doors a lot of evil can go on in those uh, in those kind of settings and unfortunately we've seen with a lot of abuse scandals um, over the last few years you know we've seen a lot of that kind of happening haven't we you know what happens behind closed doors sadly but what Paul says is don't get involved in those things rather expose them expose them like the light coming through a window I don't know if you can see my window here I don't think you can see it on the screen really it's a bit too bright but when the light shines through the window you can see the all of the the ways in which it's a bit dirty you know you can see all the dust or the little marks or you know seeing as we've got you know little ones in the house little sticky finger marks on the window those things are exposed by the light and this is what Paul is saying that we should let the light of God's truth the light of the Bible shine in our lives and expose our lives where we don't live up to God's standards that's what rather than trying to hide in the darkness and trying to shield ourselves from the light we should allow ourselves to to come into the light to let that light shine on us but that light it's actually uh, it's actually a good thing you know and this is this is part of repentance you know that when we come when we come to God and we say God I'm, I'm sorry I, I haven't lived up to what you want me to do I haven't lived as you wanted me to then when when we do that that is like allowing the light to shine on us and then transformation can happen and, and healing and this is what Paul says in, in verse 13 everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light so what Paul says is that the light of God doesn't doesn't harm but it heals you know that when we expose our sinful parts to to the uh, to the light of Christ then it doesn't it doesn't destroy but it heals and it brings those parts to be light as well and that's what we need to do rather than hiding in the darkness and saying there are parts of me I just don't want to don't want God to know about I'm just going to hide everything what we need to do is bring ourselves into the light and then when we expose it to the light of God's truth then he can work and the light shines on us and, and it transforms and that's the wonderful thing you know that God's light is not a destroying kind of uh, shining the light on to destroy but God shines the light on to heal and to and to bring transformation and wholeness that's a, a wonderful thing about the light of of Christ it changes us so how does all of this kind of um, work out and this is what the last paragraph is uh, is about how does this work um, the first thing is we need to live wisely now this is what Paul says be careful how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is now do you remember of course those of you who were here for our series on Proverbs um, a year or two ago will remember this of course but it's a well-known biblical verse now complete this verse um, the, uh, what is the beginning of wisdom it's the fear of the Lord and that is the beginning of wisdom and that's the all the way through the Bible you see that living wisely is living with the fear of the Lord and you know wanting to please him serve him love him obey him and all of those things comes under the, the fear of the Lord and this is what Paul is saying that we need to live wisely we need to use our time for God 
we need to to make the most of every opportunity you know we need to seek to um, to, to pray and to kind of um, develop ourselves in uh, in the gospel you know by reading the bible by prayer all of those kind of things use our time wisely but also we need to make the most of opportunities to speak to others as well about the gospel and uh, of course you know we only have this lifetime don't we to to share the gospel with other people so we should be praying for them and we should be praying for opportunities too to to, to share the gospel that is what it means by um, making the most of every opportunity I, I found it quite helpful to think actually that that includes today and that includes our circumstances you know because we may be thinking oh, if only um, I was able to go out then I could serve God you know, if only I was able to do this that and the other then I could serve God and actually God has put us in this situation to, to as an opportunity for us you know to become more dependent on him to become more prayerful and and so on and I think we should take this as an opportunity and we should make the most of it, as, as Paul says. You know, someone said um, the other day that it really made me think that, you know, the most of the New Testament was written because of less than ideal circumstances. You know, Paul, he couldn't get to a church, so he'd write a letter. And that's why we have the letters in the New Testament. And you think, well, perhaps it's the same with the live streaming. Perhaps it's the same with the things that we're doing online. You know, it's just an opportunity to do things in a perhaps less than ideal way, but a way that God will really use for the sake of the gospel. So let's be, be praying for that. The second thing is, um, Paul says, don't uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Um, I'm not sure if getting drunk is... Um, uh, something which is a particular temptation for you. I read um, just this morning actually that sales of alcohol during the coronavirus time have been up 20% and uh, I thought well that's um, you know that's how people deal with these kind of situations isn't it just drinking it away uh, sometimes. But actually Paul says no don't get drunk you know don't be so focused on the pleasures of this world that we forget about the eternal pleasures you know that we forget about God that you know, the, the things of this world are good, you know, and, and wine is good. And, um, you know, all of the, the good things that God has given us in this life are, are good things. But we mustn't become so sort of focused on them that we forget the giver. And that's unfortunately how it, it sometimes works. We become so focused on the things of the world that we forget the giver who gave them to us. So let's instead be focused on um, yes enjoy the things of this world but be focused on the God who gives them and and seek him and the third thing and the final thing is Paul talks about um, being filled with the spirit speaking to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the spirit sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ so Paul finishes up by talking about singing and you know speaking to each other with psalms hymns and spiritual songs and always giving thanks and in fact he mentions giving thanks in at the beginning as well in verse four um, nor should there be obscenity uh, but rather thanksgiving so thanksgiving kind of brackets this whole section really it begins and ends this section uh, why is that why does paul kind of focus on the singing and, and the thanksgiving and I think the reason is because gratitude is key. Gratitude is, is key to this. I think repentance leads us to, to coming to God and you know, to, 
to saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I just have not lived up to your standards. I've fallen short of, of the glory of God. I haven't lived up to your standards. Please, Lord, forgive me and please, Lord, help me. And when we come to God in repentance, we find God's mercy. And there we find that God's love is bigger than our sin. God's love is bigger than anything that we've done wrong. And you now when we actually turn to God in repentance, that's when he can really uh, work in us. And, and it brings a kind of thankfulness in us. It brings a kind of thankfulness which nothing else can give. Now, when we really turn to God and when we find his grace and love and mercy, then we find that kind of brings in us uh, a change, uh, that thankful hearts, you know, gratitude, which, which nothing else can do. And that's why I think uh, gratitude is so important, because it, it means that we've really grasped repentance, you know, we've really grasped the gospel. And I found this a challenge, actually, as I've been thinking about it. You know, I think it's easy to um, if you uh, if you think that God only needs to forgive you one or two little things, then you won't be very grateful. But actually, if you think that God has forgiven you everything and as you know, you are so unworthy of receiving it. But yet God has given it to you anyway. That is what really makes for, for gratitude and for for a grateful uh, life and thanksgiving. And, and singing is a part of that. You know, we sing because our, our songs and our praise should flow from grateful hearts. And that's what makes Christianity different from uh, every other religion, really, because Christians believe in grace. And we believe that God has done something amazing for us, which we couldn't do ourselves. Now, we've never earned it, but God has given it as a gift. And, and so our songs flow out of praise and thanksgiving to God in a way that is unique to, to Christians. And this should be why, the, the reason why we sing. So I'm just gonna finish off by reading you a little um, passage from a book. This is a book called uh, Sing, and it's by Keith and Christine Getty, who have uh, written many of the, the songs that we, um, that we sing in church. And um, it's, uh, it's a good book, actually. It was I, I got it at the um, the Chelmsford Anglican Bible Conference. They were giving them away, but um, you can get them from you know your regular bookstore, and, and I can recommend it. It's very good. But let me read you just one passage from this about why we sing, uh, and this is called um, uh, how we sing. Colossians three sixteen also speaks into how we sing. The disposition of our hearts is not begrudging. I sing because I must but rather with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I sing because he is marvellous. Thankfulness is more than saying the words with your lips. In fact, you are not singing Christianly if you are singing only with your lips. The root of true thankfulness is the gratitude in our hearts for the unmerited benefits of God's goodness in our lives. This root blossoms into a good, positive and loving attitude toward the call to sing from God and from the leaders he has given us in our churches. It is hard, impossible in fact, to sing what you are excited about in your spirit and grateful for in your heart in a way that is tepid, tentative and withdrawn. Deeply felt thankfulness produces a sound from our voices that is robust and enthusiastic. What is happening when we sing is about so much more than the audible sound we create, but not less. How we sing does reveal how we think and feel about something. 
Most of us will all sing with some grit in a sports stadium or in a happy birthday at a loved one's party. Our individual personalities join up to make a collective personality and our individual grateful hearts come together as the church. So as we obey the command to sing, we are, or should be, unleashing a congregational sound of conviction, whether there are a dozen of us or thousands of us. If we aren't, our children or visitors looking on have every right to wonder if what we are singing is truly important to us. In this sense, our singing betrays the truth about us, for better and for worse. Singing betrays the truth about us. And I just thought that was a really challenging and, and helpful thing, actually, to say that, you know, when we sing, we sing from our hearts. And if we're not that grateful to God, then we won't sing with very much gusto. But if we truly know what it means to be forgiven, and if we truly believe that God has forgiven us everything, then we can come to him and we can sing with gusto uh, because we're singing from our heart. So I'd just like to, to finish with that really, to finish with thankfulness. And um, let's just pray and ask God to help us to, to put these things into practice, because I know it's really hard, but you know, let's ask God to help us make these things more and more true for us, because we know we need his help to turn to him and uh, to come to him and to put all of these things about repentance into practice uh, over the coming weeks. And let's take a moment to, to pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have been able to, to think about repentance in the past few weeks. And we pray that you would help us to put these lessons into practice. And we pray that you would help us to be able to, to truly uh, turn to you and to be able to turn from sin and uh, to be truly grateful and sing to you from our hearts uh, day by day as we are uh, living lives of gratitude for the salvation, for the forgiveness that you offer. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.